Hey guys, this is Pastor Josh from Fresh Church. We are so excited that you are joining us for our podcast today. I do want to tell you that we pray at Fresh Church that you would get involved in the local church in your city. The Bible says that those that plant themselves in the house of the Lord will flourish. And a podcast and an online experience, a YouTube uh, sermon is amazing, but it does not replace the local church, the hope of the world, the community, the family that God has placed all of us in. And so we hope you find that and we hope you enjoy this message today. With you, Fresh Church. By the way, I love that name. Like, I was talking with your pastor. We talk every week. He's, he's a dear friend of mine. And he said, hey, what do you think about this name, Fresh Church? And I'm like, I don't like it. In my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to steal that. I'm going I'm to convince him it's not a good name so we can steal that. It's, I, love, I love the name of your church. But even more, I really, really, really appreciate what God is doing here. He is building a great church here. I mean, you just, how can you not experience, like, that worship was so good. I, I feel like, I feel like this, when you get to heaven, you're going to come back here on the weekends. I mean, it's, it's that good, it's that fresh, it's that, it's just that, that man, it's just the Holy Spirit is here, it's that anointed. And your pastors, I, I, they're, they're heroes of mine, to move to a city, to start a church. I, starting a church, if you know, it's one of the most challenging things you could ever do with your life. And then to go do it in a city where you really don't know anybody, you know that they are led by God. I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of just the investment. I was thinking about your pastor. I was praying for him this week. And there's two things I appreciate about your pastor. As I said, we talk almost every week. Two things I appreciate. One is the anointing of God on his life. If you've been around him at all, whether you're here for the first time or you've been here for a little while, there is an anointing upon his life. I have a lot of friends that are planning churches right now. Nobody gets into a building like you got into a building. Like, we started in a movie theater, then we moved to a school. Years later, we get into a building. You guys get into a building. He's brilliant. And then he gets a co-working space to pay for it. I'm like, who does that? Like, that's so smart. The other thing that I, I love about him is his love for you. He loves you so much. I mean, every week we talk, yeah, I'm getting updates on the team. I mean, he's just a pastor that genuinely loves you. And there's, unfortunately, there's, not, there, there's a lot of guys out there that just, they kind of mail it in. Your pastor loves you. He's committed to you. He's for you. And, and him and Ashley, they are all about you. And so it's so good to be here. I love your city, by the way. In fact, uh, 12 years ago, I proposed to my wife in this city. And so I got a lot of love for Nashville. She lived here for four years. Had she said no, I probably would have said no to coming back and speaking here. I probably never would have come back to Nashville ever again in my life, but I got a lot of great memories here. So this morning, I want us to get into the Word of God. If you brought your Bibles, we're going to go into 1 Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16, and uh, the, the title of this message, if you're taking notes, is Check It Before You Wreck It. And I'm going to explain that in a moment, because you're like, what, why are you going 90s on us, Ezra? Uh, we're, we're going to come back to that in a moment. But um, a long, long, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far, no, a long time ago, I found this app on my iPhone, and I used it to edit photos, right? Do you remember, like, back in the day when Facebook came out, and, and you, were, you, you just want to make good photos for Facebook? And so I found this app, and there's a lot of really good apps for, for editing photos, but this app was really easy. And so I downloaded the app. I would, I would put these filters on the, these photos, and then I would take them, and I'd post them to Facebook, and uh, they would also upload to this app, which I thought, okay, whatever. I don't care about this app. Nobody knows about this app. I want good photos for Facebook. And so I started posting these, these photos. And, uh, and here's the thing. That app eventually started to kind of grow. 
and it grew and grew and grew, and then Facebook bought it for a billion dollars, and you probably know what I'm talking about. It's Instagram. And, and, and I, I, this morning, I have a couple of Instagram photos I have to show you. It's so funny. This is like, if we could pull these photos up. These are from, like, back in the day. Um, this is a photo, like, so this is a photo of my daughter. Look at the timestamp on that, August 9th, 2012. Some of you weren't even alive yet. Um, but I would put these photos and these filters and these boards. I think we got a couple more here. Um, that was my wife and I. We were actually at a Coldplay concert, and they came up into the stands. And so that's a, a guy named Chris Martin. He leads the band. He was right behind us, and we, he photobombed us. And, uh, but again, 2012, like, look at the filter. Like, it's so bad. If we go to the next one, they, they, they get worse. Like, this, I mean, first off, look at that hair. Like, that hair was bad. The, 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 the photo's bad. The filter's bad. The border's bad. I think I got maybe one more in there uh, of one of my children. I mean, it's just like, uh, what is that, right? I mean, but we would put these filters, right? Now, here's the thing. Some of you, you just take a photo for social media, and you just post it, right? You just post it. You don't, you don't edit it. You're like my father-in-law. Every photo is blurry. Sometimes it's sideways. Sometimes it's upside down. I'm like, how do you do that? Like, like do you not know what you're, what you're posting? You just posts. Some of you, it's like an elaborate process. It's like a, a science experiment. I mean, it's like 47 steps through three different apps, and you have this amazing photo. It only took you an hour. If you're laughing, you know you've done it. But here's the thing that we know. There are really bad photos that none of us use, right? Like, none of us are going to use ProLogic 2 to ever uh, edit any kind of photos. We're, we're going to stay far away from Crema and Toaster. We're going to stay really far away from the despised 1970s. Anyone ever use that app or that, that filter in 1977? Be honest. It's church. You can't lie. Come on. I used it too, all right? You can have like an Instagram filter confession. The reason I tell you this, though, is this, because we know some of these filters are really bad. They're bad for, for, for social media. They're bad for your photos. But I think in the same way, we have these filters for our lives. There's these filters in our lives that we view our life through. And just like those photos on Instagram, those filters make it look fake. They make it look not even like a real thing. We begin to filter these things in our lives. And, and what, if we're not careful, we end up pursuing things that are fake and things that are not even real. I think one of the worst filters that we could ever have for our life is the filter of comparison. When we begin to compare our lives to other people, what happens is the outcome of that is it creates things that aren't real. They're not genuine. They're not, they're not, they're not authentic. Comparison is the worst filter that you or I could ever have for our lives. And ultimately, if we don't check that, if we don't deal with that, if we don't course correct our comparison, we'll end up losing out on so much life. We'll end up losing out on so many of the things that God has for us. See, I believe this. I believe that every minute you spend wishing you had someone else's life is a minute that you're wasting yours. Now, we live in a day and age where it's so easy to compare, right? I mean, everywhere we go, that we're, we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. Social media has made this, made this overwhelming. Sometimes, for those of you who use Pinterest, and like you make dinner, and then you see someone else's like creation on Pinterest, and you're like, I'm a lousy wife, or I'm a lousy, I can't, I'm a lousy cook. Some of you, it comes down to things like, like your bedroom or your home, and, and you look at your home, and you're like, man, I got it decorated. It looks really cool, just like Fresh Church over here. It looks really cool until you get onto Instagram, and you're like, man, this lifestyle blogger, look at their home. Or your kids. We were joking about this on the way in. Like, Sunday morning, our kids, I don't know, actually, if it's the same. for Your kids were all matching today. Like, I'm, like, mom of the year award. Like, our kids can't have two matching shoes. Like, we don't even, I'm like... 
hey, you just made it to church, right? We're always comparing ourselves to other people. We have to be so careful that we get out of this. Here's the problem. We don't realize how detrimental it is. I was talking to someone recently, an older gentleman in our church, and he goes, Pastor, I've been diagnosed with hypertension. I'm like, ugh, what's that? Like, in my mind, I don't, I, like, I'm not telling him this. I'm like, what is that? That sounds awful. What is hypertension? And so he's explaining it to me, and this is what he told me. He said hypertension is, it, what it does is it increases the risk of a heart disease and a stroke. They call it the silent killer because it's so detrimental. The number one and number three things that people die of in America, hypertension is a huge cause of this. I was thinking about this later. I thought, man, in the same way that hypertension kills us physically, comparison kills us psychologically. It's the silent killer. We, we don't even realize we're doing it. Do you ever have a really good day, and then suddenly, like, it just transforms, and you're like, what changed? Oh, I saw someone post something on social media. And, and you go from having a really good day to suddenly you're envious of their day or their pick or their vacation. We have to be so careful to fight this stuff. This is what they say. Psychologists tell us this, that comparing yourselves to others is the root cause of feelings of unhappiness, self-blame, and depression. If you struggle with those things, you've got to come back to this idea of comparison. So this morning, I want to look at God's word. I want to look at the stories of three men uh, uh, that were all connected, all uh, related to one another, and the way that they dealt with comparison. Now, here's what's significant. The way that each of these men handled comparison not only affected their lives, it affected a nation, it ultimately affected history, the way that they chose to either check or uncheck their comparison. The first is a, a young man named David. Now, David, we know a lot about him. He was iconic in the, in the Old Testament. But David grew up with eight older brothers. He was, the, he was the youngest of eight brothers. How many of you have a brother in the room? How many of you guys just, you wrestled with not having insecurity with your older brother? When you're an athlete, your older brother, just because he's, he's older and, and, and naturally he's a little bit more developed than you, he's better at every sport than you are until you get better and until you catch up to him. Imagine having seven older brothers. If I was their dad, I would literally turn the living room into a locker room. That would be like such a, 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 an incubator for insecurity. I mean, having seven older brothers. Now, if that's not enough, look at this. I want to look at First uh, Samuel 16, pick it up in verse 11. This man named Samuel comes, and, and he comes to Jesse, David's dad, and he says, he says, uh, Jesse, I want to anoint one of your kings, one of your sons to be king. I want to anoint one of your boys who's going to be the next king of Israel. And so this is the interaction. Verse 11. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? So, so Jesse gathers all of his sons together. He brings all of his sons together, and he brings them before Samuel. Samuel looks at every single one of them. He says, that's not the king. That's not the king. That's not the king. That's not the king. All of David's seven older brothers. Then Jesse says this. He says, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the field watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, and the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought in, and he poured it and anointed David with the oil. 
And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. From that day on, Samuel returned to Ramah. Now, think about this just for a moment. Think about a moment in your life when you were picked last or you weren't picked at all. Think about maybe for some of you, it was that moment on the playground when you were a kid and they were picking teams and you got picked last. Or maybe just people said, you know what, we don't want him, you can have him. Think about that job that you applied for and you found out that even though you were so qualified, you didn't get it. Or the university you were trying to get into and you applied and applied and applied and they said, we're sorry, you just aren't going to be accepted. Rejection is one of the greatest things when it comes to causing insecurity. Every single one of us, we, we get rejected and suddenly we're insecure. It doesn't matter how good you are, how great you are, how talented you are. When you're faced with rejection, you become insecure. You begin to compare yourself to other people. So David, his dad was his hero. Every, every son, I look at your sons, you're their hero. Every son, his father is their hero to a certain age. So David not only is either forgotten about by his own father... Or his father just doesn't believe that he's good enough to be the next king. Samuel comes to him and says, hey, I want to see your sons. And he invites all of his sons except for one. I don't know about you, but that would cause a lot of insecurity in my life. My own dad doesn't think I'm good enough. My own father doesn't think that I have what it takes to one day be king. Oh yeah, there's David. He's out there. He's just doing his thing with the sheep. And yet David faces and he deals with his insecurity. Fast forward, how do we know he, he dealt with it? We fast forward to his life. A few years later, David is bringing food to his brothers. He gets onto the scene. There's this giant by the name of Goliath. And when I say he's a giant, he's nine feet tall. He's like the ultimate UFC fighter. Like he's defeated and destroyed and killed everyone. So Goliath is on the scene, and David rolls up, and he goes, guys, what's going on? And his brothers explained the whole thing. They said, basically what Goliath wants is he wants one of us to go fight him. And if we win, they become our slaves. If they win, we become their slaves. And David's like, done. I got it. I'm in. And his brothers are like, no. You're delivering food. You're not, you're not a, a warrior. You're not going to show up to battle. He's like, no, no, I got this. They're like, no, you're like the Grubhub guy. You're like Uber Eats. You're not going to take on... Conor McGregor. Like, that's just not going to happen. Grubhub is not going to face Goliath today. So again, he's rejected. Again, potential for insecurity. Again, the cause for comparison. Now, what does he do? He gets to the king. He tells the king, he says, I want to I face this giant. Now, here's what he does. He doesn't compare himself to Goliath. If you read the scripture, he compares Goliath to his God. His focus was not on fear. His focus was on faith. His focus was not on himself. His focus was on who his God was, and he knew that his God was greater than the giant, so he said, let me take a stab at it. Let me take him out. I got this. My God's got this. And that's the focus. That's the filter that we need for our lives. That's the filter that you need when you wake up tomorrow. That's the filter that you need every moment of every single day. Now, here's what's unique about this. Saul, the king at the time, I'm going to explain him in a moment, he wants to put David in his own armor. He said, David, if you're going to go fight this, this giant, you need to put on my armor. You need to put on the armor of the king. Now, again, if David was insecure, if David was chasing comparison, that would have led him to put on Saul's armor. But because he knew who he was, because he wasn't trying to become somebody else, he said, I can't wear that. 
It'll slow me down from who God created me to be. Let me go as I am. He knew who he was. So he rejected comparison. He killed comparison. He overcame comparison. And he goes just as he is. The outcome? The outcome's amazing. Not only does he defeat the giant, he cuts his head off. He literally cuts his head off. And here's the thing that I want you to see. When you overcome comparison... When you battle and you face and you deal with the comparison issues in your life, it will allow you to defeat so many of the giants that you will face in your life. When you're able to defeat comparison, it will help you defeat so many other areas. When you're able to slay comparison, you'll slay so many other things. So let's pick this back up. 1 Samuel chapter 18, two chapters over. It says this in verse 6. It says, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home from home after David had killed the Philistines, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet Saul. They sang and they danced for their joy, with joy, excuse me, for joy with tambourines and cymbals. Now don't get any ideas. This is a, a tambourine-free church, okay? I got your back. You do not bring tambourines to church next week. They will get checked at the door. I lost my spot here. Verse 7. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he, he said. They credited David with ten thousands and me only with thousands. Next they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Okay, think about this for a moment. You're the king. You're the one that should have been fighting Goliath. You're the one that should have marched out onto that field with confidence. You've been anointed by God. You're the one that should have taken on Goliath. And yet you're so afraid that days and weeks and months go by of this man taunting you and your nation and your God. And then a tween, a guy who's like 13 years old, arrives on the scene, like baby Bieber, right? And he shows up and he kills the giant. He literally overcame every problem that Saul would have as a king. This is the greatest moment in his tenure as king, and what does he do? He gets jealous. He should have been celebrating. He should have been elated. He should have been saying, hey, can we, guys, can we copyright this song about David? Can we sing it next Sunday at church? Like, like can we put, can we get some bass tracks to this? Like, can we, like, I just, I, come on, I hear, I hear like, some, some good guitar. Like, let's make this an anthem for our nation. And yet, what does he do? He's jealous. He starts to compare himself to David. That moment when he begins to keep a, a jealous eye on David is the beginning of the end of his life. I want to ask you, who are you keeping a jealous eye on? Who are those people in your life that you're finding yourself comparing yourself to just a little bit too much? Maybe it's that person on social media. Maybe it's that friend. Maybe it's that coworker there at the next level. Maybe it's that pastor that's pastoring that great church. Maybe it's that worship leader. Maybe it's that musician that you aspire to be like. Who's the person you're keeping a watchful eye on? For Saul, this was the end. Here's the truth about comparison. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Don't do it. It won't ever turn out the way that you want. 
Here's the thing. We think that by the time that we hit 25 or 30 or 40, that we should be secure in who we are. I turned 38 recently. Can I just tell you, I'm not as secure at 38 as I thought I would be. I had a lot of things in my life that I thought I had figured out, and, and I don't. There's a lot of things I thought, man, when, by the time I'm in my late 30s, I'm going to have all the answers. I'm going to have all the solutions. I'm going to have all, everything I ever dreamed of. Life just doesn't work that way. This is a king, and yet he's still insecure. He should have been the most secure person in the entire kingdom, and yet he's still insecure. If he can be insecure, we can be insecure. We have to deal with our insecurities. We have to deal with comparison. The third and final person I want to look at is, is Jonathan. Jonathan is the son of Saul. He's also the best friend of David. If anyone should have been insecure, if anyone should have been comparing himself to anyone, it should have been Jonathan. You see, Jonathan knew. Jonathan understood that God's anointing was upon David. Jonathan knew that one day it would be David, not himself, that would become king. He knew that one day David would be the one that would be inheriting everything that he should have received as the prince. And yet he's okay with it. He knew who he was, and he was okay with it. This is what I love about Jonathan. Verse 30 of chapter 20, same book, 1 Samuel. It says this, Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore, he swore at him. Do you think I don't know what you, that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you will never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. But why should he be put to death, Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? You see, the thing about David and the thing about Jonathan is they both learned how to deal with their insecurities. They learned how to deal with their insecurities, and because they did, they were able to write history. Saul, because he never did, it affected everything in his life. Here's the reality. If we don't overcome comparison... Comparison will overcome us. It's just the way it is. If we don't overcome this now, it will overcome us. We have to deal with it. We have to face it. And like I said, there is so much in this day and age with social media, with access to things that we've never had access to before, that we can just become so overwhelmed by comparison. You have to check it. You have to check it. Comparison is a game that you can't win. It, it's impossible to win. Someone said it like this. They said, if you compare yourselves to others, you may become either vain or bitter because there will always be someone greater and lesser persons than yourself. When you compare yourself to someone better, you become, you become jealous of them. When you, when you compare yourself to someone that maybe you're a little bit further along in life, then you become arrogant. It's, it's just a game you can't win. You lose either way. So you have to put an end to this. So Ezra, how do I overcome comparison? How do I defeat comparison? This week I was in Argentina. I got a last-minute phone call. I got to go on this last-minute trip, and uh, it was amazing. We were with all these pastors and leaders across the nation. But the, the challenge was is that my Spanish is really bad. Like, it's really bad. Like, I took two years of Spanish in, in high school, and I'm still struggling. Like, like, I'm just not good with languages. And so we're, we're working through interpreters all the time. I'm talking to someone, and many of the people, like, have picked up on a little bit of English. And so you can have a couple conversations, and then you're grabbing an interpreter to bring them in. And I'm talking to someone, and they say this phrase. They go, yeah, you just got to check it before you wreck it. I go, what? 
And I pull aside the interpreter. I said, did he say you got to check it before you wreck it? And then, like, they start talking, and, like, they're talking for a long time. And he goes, oh, he didn't mean it like that. He just heard this 90s phrase from America. And I was laughing about that, and I thought, that's exactly what we have to do with comparison. We have to check it before it wrecks us. You have to get it in check. You have to keep it in check. You have to monitor it, or it will wreck you. So how do we check it before we wreck it? Four things as we conclude this morning. The first is this. The first is that we have to stop finding our identity in things that are measured. you got to hear me on this. you got to hear me on this. Stop finding your identity in things that are measured. Here's the thing that I love about Jesus. Jesus is not a religion. It's a relationship. I talk to people in other religions. It's all about measurements. They're always measuring themselves to other people and other things. I talk to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. It's like, well, i got to be part of the 144,000. If I don't do enough, then I won't go to heaven. What I love about the Lord is he says this. He says, stop measuring. I'm the measurement. I'm the measurement. The cross, the cross is the measurement. I already fulfilled everything else. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Stop comparing yourself. Stop measuring yourself. Stop finding your identity in things that are measured. Second Corinthians says it like this. It says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. When you live your life based on comparison, when you're constantly trying to measure your life to someone else's life, you're without understanding. You're without understanding of who you are. You're made in the image of God. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. So stop measuring your life to other people's lives. The second thing is this, that we have to stop allowing fear to make us territorial. We have to stop allowing fear because what happens, we become territorial and suddenly we've just blockaded ourselves off from everyone and everything. We've got to stop doing that. The Word of God tells us in Galatians, it says, each person, each one should test their own actions. How often does, does someone post something online and then everybody blasts them for it? Like, I hate that. I hate that. My wife is a, a beauty and lifestyle blogger, and, and this, uh, this, this weekend, they were, they were hanging out at the pool, and my son is three, and he's wild. His name's Wyatt, and sometimes we call him Riot because he's like, he's just so wild. And they're at the pool, and they're all eating dinner, and they take off his flotation device for just a moment, like not even 30 seconds, and the next thing we know, he's jumped into the pool. My wife talked about the experience online, and she had to preface it, please don't judge me. Please don't attack me for what happened today. I'm like, why do we have to have such a disclaimer like that? Every parent, if you live long enough, you've had a scare with a child. Like, they get out of your house, and they're walking down the busiest freeway in Nashville. I don't know anyone that that would happen to, though. <laughs> we have to quit living our lives based on things that are measured. We've all had parent fails. If you don't have, here's the thing. I used to judge parents so hard all the time. Like, I go to Disneyland, I see the parents with a little leash. I'm like... What kind of parent puts their kid on a leash? Now, I'm like, hey, where did you get that? Can, can I Amazon Prime that? Like, can I Amazon now that? Like, I needed that yesterday. 
I love, I love this time of year. Uh, right now in Austin, the Girl Scouts are out everywhere, and they're selling cookies. And I can't say no. Like, I just, like, I can't say no to them. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I like food. I love food. I mean, you introduced me. Talk about barbecue. Like, you know my love language, right? My favorite dessert in the world, though, are those Samoa cookies. Come on. Can we just thank Jesus for those cookies right now? I mean, can we just get like a, like, I'm convinced God made a cookie, and then he gave it to the Girl Scouts, right? They're so good. Here's the challenge. They only come out once a year. Now, people in my church, they, they, they know me, and, and, and oftentimes they'll buy these cookies for me. And, and I get these cookies, and I'm so excited until I get home. And then my kid's are like, Dad, can we have a cookie? And I was like, hey, babe, can I have a couple of those? And, and, and here's what happens. I start thinking about, well, I want you to have them, but there's 16 cookies in a container, and if I give you two and I give you two, I'm, if I give my whole family, I'm halfway gone. Like, I love you, but I don't know if I love you that much. And here's the challenge. So many times we do that with life. We look at God and we think there's only so much. There's only so much resource that he can give us. There's only so much that he can offer us. If we don't, if we give this away, he'll never give us more. We have to overcome that fear. We have to stop thinking that way. We, stop, we have to stop having that mindset and, and, and allowing fear to make us territorial. Comparison does this. It looks at the world with a limited mindset that there's only so much. God says, I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm the provider. I got you. Start giving it away. Start giving it away. The third and final, or the third thing is this, is that we need to stop devaluing others. How often do we do this? We devalue others. Oh man, they got that new car. Must be nice. Well, you know, they, they got a good job and their job gives them a, a, a car allowance. And so that's how they got that. That's how they afforded that new car. And, and you know what? They bought last year's model. And, and you know what? It, it's like, it's not the luxury one. It's just got, there's no leather in that car. Like, what are they? It really, it's not that great of a new car. I mean, we devalue stuff, don't we? I mean, we do this all the time. There's this German phrase. Someone told me about this recently. There's this German phrase, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this, but it's Schradenfreuden. In Austin, we say, y'all Schradenfreuden. I mean, it's like we just butcher the whole thing. But, but here's what this word means. It means that there is a pleasure. Get this. There, there's a pleasure derived from the misery of others. There's a pleasure derived. It, it literally means that, that their harm brings us joy. Now, we all say, wow, but, but sometimes we're like, I'm, I'm glad they didn't get the promotion. I'm glad the girl didn't say yes to going out with him. She's way out of his league anyways. Well, so is your wife. I'm glad of this. I'm glad of that. Comparison. Comparison always drives us away. It always drives us away. Here's the problem. We think about this. Bro, stand up for one second. We think that, you know, we were created to live like this, right? I mean, we were created to live in proximity and relationship. But what, what, what comparison does is it just pushes us away. It drives us away from one another. We have to stop doing this. We have to overcome this. Because if not, if you keep comparing your life to everyone else before you know it, you will have no friends. It's just the reality. We have to stop doing this. The final thing that we have to start doing is, is not something we need to stop. We need to start. We need to start celebrating others. Man, she said yes to going out with you. I'm, I'm so happy for you. 
I'm so happy. You got that new car. I'm so excited you got a new car. Can we, can we go for a ride? We need to start celebrating other people. We need to get to a place where we are literally celebrating other people because that is what will kill comparison. This summer, this last summer, we had a barbecue at our house. And, um, and here's the problem. I, I live in between two guys that have, like, smokers. Like, one of my neighbors has, like, five barbecues. All right? And so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm constantly comparing my barbecue to their barbecue. Now, I have, like, this hand-me-down grill. Like, maybe if my wife was in the room, like, a good Father's Day gift would be a, a new grill. But I have this hand-me-down grill. And it's awful. But so, so this summer, I'm like, hey, I'm going to try to compete with my neighbors. And so I get these, like, flank steaks from Costco. You guys have Costco out here, right? How great is Costco? I feed my kids for free, and we get groceries. Like, it's like... So, so we go to Costco, I get these flank steaks, I put them on the grill, I'm trying to get a couple things done, and uh, my doorbell rings, and I run to the front door, it's, it's our youth pastor and her husband, and they come in, and, and he's one of those guys where he's just very, he's just, you know, he's like a jack of all trades, and he, he, but he's very like, he's like a former Marine, he's just like this, he goes, oh, Ezra, uh, your grill's on fire. I'm like, what? I, I turn around, and there are flames, like, billowing up out of my grill. Like, like the, the, there's, like, smoke on the side of my house. And I'm, like, running back there, and I'm trying to put it out with water, and it's, it's a grease fire. It makes the thing worse. And he casually walks out with some baking soda and just dumps it all over everything. He goes, that's, that's how you do it. I'm like, thanks, man. But just like baking soda has to put out a grease fire, water won't do it. It's not just the things that we stop. It's the things that we start when it comes to comparison. We have to start celebrating other people. We have to start celebrating the things, the blessings of God, the good things that they're experiencing. We have to start celebrating all that God is doing in their lives in this moment. I want to conclude with this. Last weekend, I, I, I got a pretty cool opportunity. I got, I got to check a bucket list item off my, my life. Uh, there's a Formula One racetrack in Austin. And uh, one of the guys in our church, a guy that I'm, I'm meeting with every week, uh, he invited me to come out. He's, he's a, a financial planner, and he's got some clients that own these um, very high-end uh, race cars. And he said, I, I want you to come out, and we're just going to spend a day on the track. I want you to meet these guys. My hope is that they're going to come to know Jesus. And um, he said, let's just get some time together. And so I get out to the racetrack. I'm not like a big car guy, but, but like, I really enjoy cars. And so we get out to the racetrack, and... I pull into this parking spot, and there's this brand-new million-dollar McLaren. And, and I'm, like, looking around, and, and I start kind of adding up, like, the value of these. And, like, there's almost a billion dollars in automobiles in, like, these five garages with this group of guys that we're with. And that day, there's all these other cars that are out on the track. They have, like, this race group that gets together, and, and they all race their cars. But there's other people that are there. And so we're out on the track and my friend goes, okay, at any moment, they're just going to tell you, go get into that car. And she just, whatever they tell you to do, just put on a helmet and just go. Like, you're going to enjoy the ride. I'm like, okay, great. And so there's a gentleman next to me. And he goes, hey, are, are you riding with anyone? I said, no. He said, would you like to ride with me? I said, sure. He said, my name is Jesus. I said, hey, Jesus, I'm Ezra. Nice to meet you. And we get into his, uh, his Hurricane Lamborghini. And he's all strapped in. Like, he's, like, in a, a full-on, like, race suit. Like, if he catches on fire, he's going to be fine. He's got, like, this helmet with all this, like, oxygen stuff. And I'm in, like, jeans and a T-shirt. And I got, like, this, like, helmet that I think they, they bought from, like, Goodwill, right? I just put this thing on. I get all strapped in. And he's got these harnesses, and I'm just strapped in like this. And he reaches over to me, and he says, hey, it was great to meet you. Uh, enjoy the ride. And he said, oh, by the way, we're going to start off kind of slow. We're going to warm up the car. 
and then we're going to get going. I said, okay, great. Like, uh, you know, but I'm braced, right? I'm like, I'm like, this isn't, you know, it's my first rodeo, but I, and so I lean back in the car, and we come up to the, 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 the exit from the pits, and then the green light comes on, and, and, and we start off slow. We're going up a hill, 180 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to throw up. Like, like my knees are in my chest. There's this tiny little window, and there's like smells like gasoline, right? And we come flying around this turn, and I'm thinking, We're, this is not warming up. This is like Fast and the Furious, like the final scene of Fast and the Furious, right? And he's just gunning it around these corners, and, and, and we're driving, and there's this one part of the track where there's like this S, these S curves. I mean, just like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth like this. And there's this little car that comes alongside us. I'm like, is that a go-kart? Like, what is that thing? And it goes flying by us. And at this moment, I'm like, Jose, come on. We just got passed by a, a modified go-kart. We're in a Lamborghini. And he goes, yes. He goes, just wait. And we catch up to the car in a straightaway, and we just drop this car. And he goes, we're in a Lamborghini. He goes, I don't know what that is. And church, I want to tell you today, God created you in his image. He created you as a man of God, as a woman of God. He made you with a unique DNA. He made you with unique fingerprints. He created you to be so distinct from everybody else. He created you to be an original, not a knockoff of someone else. You're a Lamborghini. Who cares about the car that just passed you for a moment? Focus on who you are. Focus on who God made you to be and allow him to lead your life. Let's pray. This morning, perhaps you're here and, and, and you find yourself just in a place where, if you're honest, you need Jesus. You've been living your life and, and maybe you're here today for the first time or you're here uh, you've been coming for a little while, but you recognize the need for a Savior. You recognize the need for someone to, to be the Lord of your life. You need someone to take the wheel of your life. I'm not talking about my friend Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus. And Jesus would say to you today, it's time for you to surrender. It's time for you to give up your life. It's time for you to discover me and all that I created you to be. Because even though you're one of a kind, even though you're completely unique, you can't fully discover who you are until you discover me. And today, if you're here in this house and you would say, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to give my, my life to him. I want to begin a relationship with him. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you today and you want to say yes to Jesus, would you be so bold to raise your hand? Would you be so bold to say yes to him? If that's you, I want to invite you to raise your hand today. Say yes. Begin the greatest relationship with him that you could ever have. Perhaps today you're here and you're saying, man, as I'm here, Ezra, some of the things that you're talking about, yeah, they're hitting home for me. There's been a person or maybe a few people I found myself just comparing my life to. And if I'm really honest, it's robbed something in my life. Every time I go online, sometimes when I'm just going about my day, I think about that person. I, I compare myself to other people. And, and, and today I just recognize I need to stop that. I need to cut off this comparison. I need to put an end to this so that I can freely and fully live the life that God has for me. If I'm honest, I'm not being an original. I'm kind of being a knockoff or a 2.0 of somebody else. 
If that's you with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just raise your hand this morning? I just, I want to agree with you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for freedom. I agree with you. I agree with you. Who else to say today? I, I just want to overcome this. I don't want to compare myself to anyone any longer. I agree with you as well. Jesus, I thank you that when we find you, we find the greatest thing in our life. God, when we find you, we don't just discover who you are, we discover who we are. And we discover how to live this life out with you the best possible way that we could ever live. And Lord, I pray for Fresh Church, and I pray for those individuals that have raised their hand, and I pray that this would be a place so free of comparison. I pray that every time people gather, every time people get together, they would say, man, I know who I know who I know who I know who I am in Jesus. Every time that they get together, they wouldn't try to be another church. They wouldn't try to be individual people. But God, that they would be who they are, who you called them and created them to be. Lord, I pray that this season will be a new season. I pray this season will be a season of breakthrough. I pray that this season will be a season of transformation. I pray that this season will be a season where things that have not been able to be overcome would now be overcome. I pray that this would be a season of healing. I pray that this would be a season of faith. I pray that Fresh Church would have the greatest faith of any church in Nashville. I pray this would be a season now where you'd pour out new gifts. You'd pour out your Holy Spirit like never before. And with your Holy Spirit, you'd pour out new gifts. Lord, I pray for Pastor Josh. I pray for Ashley. I pray for the leadership of this church. Would you not only guide them and guard them and protect them, but God, would you move them forward in your spirit and your anointing. And we pray that, Lord, nothing would stop the vision and the plans that you have for this church. I don't just see a good church. I see a great church. I see a church that the gates of hell cannot stop. I see a church that no one in this city can stop. I see a church that's multiplying, that's growing, that's leading, that's transforming. And I pray now, God, that this next season for this, the life of this church will be the, se- the sweetest season. And it will be a season of harvest. It'll be a season where prodigal sons and daughters come home. It'll be a season of salvation. It'll be a season where you now move. I pray that as they go into summer, they will grow like never before. They would love like never before. They would have a unity that has, they've not experienced yet. I pray that as they go into summer that they would just see more and more people. Every Sunday, people would say yes to you. Every Sunday, they'd have to add rows and eventually services. I thank you for your hand upon this church. I thank you that you're here. Holy Spirit, you're moving in this place. And we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Come on, let's give it up for the people who gave their life to Jesus this morning.